0: or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again you can go to eclife.org and click on the giving tab and choose online campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well good morning church, how are you feeling today? It is a pleasure to be with you. I want to take a moment and just welcome all of our campuses right now. Welcome our Banda campus, our Franklin campus, our online campus, our microsites, and a very, very special welcome to our Garfield Park campus. We are so excited to be with you here today on your grand opening. And of course, welcome everyone here to the Greenwood campus as well. If you are new here, we started a series last week called Tis the Season. It's our Christmas series. We love to celebrate Christmas all month long here at Emanuel. So we do a a month long uh, series. And uh, we began last week by talking about how, you know, there are some people that just absolutely love Christmas. I mean, you cannot get these people down because they love the lights. They love the the gift wrapping, the gift giving, the Christmas trees. They love going to see other people decorate their houses with lights. They love the food. They love the Christmas. Christmas music, the mistletoe, the Christmas story. They love it all. Are you one of these people? My wife is. My wife is one of these people. Uh, She got me something very special this Christmas season. It was the 12 days of Christmas, uh, Christmas sock edition. And so I have 12 brand new pairs of socks for every day coming up to, leading up to Christmas. Today is day four, I believe. And so I have the, uh, the reindeer version of the socks today. So you can see I, on both sides, if you can get a close-up for all the campuses, not of my legs, of, of, of the reindeer. Um, and so very special. And so I don't know what tomorrow holds because it's still tucked away. Um, but um, wouldn't it be cool if I preached the rest of the sermon like this? Would that be distracting? <laughs> I mean, this is the way teenagers wear their pants today anyway, so I would be... I would be cool, wouldn't I? No, I won't do that. That will be very distracting. But, but my wife loves Christmas. And, and if you're in that category of people who just, it's just the most wonderful time of the year and nothing can get you down, hey, more power to you. That's awesome. Uh, you know, that, but that's not everybody, right? There, there are, not everyone falls into that category. From, in fact, for many people, Christmas is, is quite challenging. The busyness, the hecticness uh, of, the, of the season it's a bit overwhelming, it's a bit stressful. The average couple argues seven times over the Christmas holiday, um, it's, it's a challenge. You know, there's different places to go, there's money to be spent, a lot of pressure, expectations, there's family tensions, that's what we're actually gonna be talking about today, family tensions that, are, that, that seem to resurface because normally you can put them off, you don't have to see your family and then Christmas gathering happens and you have to see your family. And then there's also the reality of loss, that there's, there's some of us that go through the Christmas holidays without, without dad, without mom, without a brother or a son or a daughter, and it's really hard. And there's an empty chair at the table, and it's, it's just very difficult to be joyful and happy. And so we thought, what if we did a series to kind of help those of us who really struggle maybe to get through the holidays and experience joy and peace and happiness? What if we, what if we put a series together to help those folks? And that's what Tis the Season is all about. Last week we talked about the busyness and the hecticness and I gave you a story from Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10 to help those of us who seem to be distracted (laughs) to focus in on the true purpose of Christmas so that you can experience joy. Because attention, if you remember last week, if you were here, attention creates awareness and awareness opens up the door for joy. So I'm not gonna re-preach that talk, but if you missed it last week, go back and check that out. I think it'll be a blessing to you. So today I wanna begin talking about the family tensions that we have during the Christmas season and how to deal with them. And in order to do that, we got to go back to the Christmas story. So let's do that in Luke chapter 2. I kind of have it in my head. Some of you do as well because you memorized it as a kid for some play, right? (laughs) Okay, so here's how it kind of goes. Like Caesar Augustus decrees uh, a census, and so Joseph has to take his wife Mary down to Bethlehem to be counted in the census. This is the shortened version. While they're there, her water breaks, out comes Jesus. There's no room in the inn, so she wraps him up, puts him in the manger, right? At the same time, there's some shepherds out in the field tending their flocks. All of a sudden this angel shows up. He's brilliant, he's glorious. There's, you know, radiance is shining off of him and the the shepherds are like, ah! My version of it, they're terrified. And the angel has to reassure them and say, hold on, don't don't be afraid, because I bring you good news that will bring great joy, right? We said that last week, good news that will bring great joy to all people. What is that good news? The Messiah, the Savior, the Lord is born today in Bethlehem, and you'll recognize him by this sign. You're going to find a baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger, And last week, if you were here, what we said was the purpose of Christmas is joy. But we didn't didn't follow through on the story. We kind of left it hanging right there. Let's pick it up in verse 13 and 14 of Luke chapter 2. And suddenly, right after that happened, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the one angel, and they were praising God. I wonder what that must have sounded like. The the sound of a host of angelic beings, brilliant and glorious. This is what they were saying. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Say it with me, all of our campuses. Peace. Peace. Shalom to those on whom his favor rests. If you're a note taker today, I want you to jot this down in your handout there. Christmas brought peace. Christmas brought peace. When Jesus came into the world, he brought peace. Or at least the possibility of peace. When we're looking around in our world today, we say, man, there's not a lot of peace. Turn the news on. There's not a lot of peace. In your homes, in your school, there's not a lot of peace. Christmas brought the possibility of peace. 750 years before this baby came into the world, there's a prophet named Isaiah who penned these words. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called, watch this, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of, say it with me, peace. Jesus, when he was born into this world, he brought peace with him. What is peace? Well, the Hebrew word is shalom. And in a, in a Jewish household, in the Jewish society, it was a foundational principle. It was a foundational idea to their entire way of being, shalom, peace. And here's what it meant. It meant wholeness. It meant completeness. When all the essential parts of an organism were working together well, sort of like an engine, when all the pieces and parts of an engine are working together well, and there's gasoline and there's oil and, and everything's doing what it's supposed to do, that engine, you could say, has Shalom. And all the parts are working together. Or if that doesn't work for you, think of a human body. Think of the the heart and the lungs and the pancreas and and the skin and the circulatory system and the brain. When all the essential parts of our bodies are working together well, you could say that the human body has shalom. Peace. That's what the Hebrew word meant. And when I describe it that way, and then you think of your family, or your past family gatherings, or the one that's coming up... (laughs) you're gonna to think to yourself, there's no shalom in my house because <laughs> the essential parts are not working together well. You know, we, people are doing crazy stuff and hurting people and saying hurtful things and not being responsible. There's no shalom in my house. You wanna know why there's no shalom or there's very little? It's because of the troublemakers. The trouble. Who are the troublemakers? Who are the troublemakers in your home and your family? Well, they're the disturbers of the peace. This is what we call, I saw somebody point at somebody. You don't have to, you don't have to point at them. Goodness sakes. (laughs) That was great. That was great. Who are the disturbers of the peace in your home? Let me talk about a few of them because every family's got them. They're the pot stirrers. Anybody have a pot stirrer in the house? The teaser, the critic. They just get in there and stir Like, why do you have to say that? Why do you have to pick on him? Stop teasing her. They just, they just do it. Just, that's why there's no shalom. Because of the pot stirs. Then you have the gossipers. They get together and they think it's an opportunity to talk about other people. You hear about so-and-so? It's like, shut up. <laughs> like, don't talk about people. It's gossipers, right? Then you have the easily offended folks in your family. Can't say anything to them. You know, tiptoeing around them, walking on eggshells, Shh. No peace. No shalom. Then you have the blame shifters. It's never their fault. <laughs> you know, they're always pointing at somebody else. And ain't me. You know, they forget that every time you point at somebody, you got three fingers pointing back at yourself. The blame shifters, oh, they're frustrating. Then you have the know-it-alls. It It doesn't matter what the topic is over the family, you know, turkey or whatever it is you're eating. Doesn't matter what it is. Could be politics or religion. Stay away from those, by the way. It doesn't really go that well. But it doesn't matter what the topic is. They know it all, right? Well, you know, you know, you're the expert. And we wonder why there's no peace. Then we got the drama queens. They come in ready to go. They, they show up at the Christmas gathering. They bring it with them. They bring it. It's like a storm comes in with them, you know. They're addicted to the drama. And, and it's not just the drama queens. It's the drama kings. Hello. <laughs> There's guys that do this too. They love them some drama. Stir, you know. They're the, probably the pot stirrer too as well. And then you have the volcanoes. These are the folks that just, it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And they'll just be quiet for a while. Be quiet for, and all of a sudden, <laughs> and lava gets all over the family. Or it's like burning up. Ah! All at the Christmas dinner. (laughs) Peace and goodwill to all men, right? Not at our Christmas family gathering. Shalom. It's hard. Just because the baby came into the world doesn't mean there's going to be peace and shalom in our homes. It's going to take a concerted effort. So what I want to do is kind of share some thoughts with you guys. This really isn't even a sermon. This is just some ideas that, that have helped our family helped me to have some peace over the Christmas series, over the Christmas uh, season. The first one is this in your notes. I love this one. Peacemaking is your role. And I'm talking to Christ followers today. If you're not a Christ follower today and you're just kind of investigating Christianity, maybe you came to see somebody get baptized to support them, to be kind, but you're not a believer in Jesus, you can sit this one out. But for those of us who are Christ followers, your job is to be a peacemaker. You say, what are you talking about? Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12. If it is possible, now sometimes it's not possible, but if it's possible, you can't control the behavior of other people, but you can control yours, yes? Come on, yes? If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, not them, you can't control what they do, but as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. That puts the responsibility where? On who? on me. Not because I'm a pastor. Now, doubly so because I'm a pastor. There should be peace in the pastor's home. Do you agree? Like, what if the cops were being called at the pastor's house, right? That's a problem. Probably should resign, you know? But even if I'm not a pastor, even if I'm just a believer, I'm a normal, average disciple just like you, the job, my job, your job, is to be a peacemaker, to bring it, to be a creator. Where did Paul get this teaching? He got it from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, The best TED talk ever given. (laughs) Matthew chapter five, Jesus said this, blessed are the, say it with me, the peacemakers, those who work for peace, create peace in their own hearts between other people, in their families, in their homes, those who create shalom, they're blessed. They will be called the children of God. I always wondered, why, why that? Why are the peacemakers called the children of God? Well, here's why. God the Father sent Jesus Christ into this world as a baby born in Bethlehem to bring peace to mankind. What is that? Reconciliation between man and God through the cross. Peacemaking, is the, the gospel, is, is God's attempt to bring peace to all people. So when you and I take up the mantle and we decide, well, we're gonna do the same thing and we're gonna bring peace to people, and we're gonna bring people together and we're gonna bridge you know, gaps and, and we're gonna bring reconciliation and bring peace, we are acting just like God. We are engaging in the same work that God is engaging in when we engage in peacemaking. So he says, blessed are the peacemakers, you're, you're my kids. Wow, isn't that fun? Now, how, how would your family gathering go differently if you decided that you are gonna go into it as a peacemaker? Something tells me there'd be a little bit more shalom. Yes or no? If everyone was working towards making peace. That's number one. Number two, you gotta be flexible. Man, you got to roll with the flow. You got to roll with the punches. It's not going to go your way at the family gathering. There's too many people. It's impossible. So you got to be flexible. You got to adapt. You got to bend. I love what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. Make allowance for each other's faults. You know what this word in the Greek means? Faults means weirdness (laughs) your family's weird so is mine you're weird so am I and then you get a bunch of weird people coming together to have some sort of ham or turkey or whatever it is you're going to eat right and and it's difficult to have some shalom when when people are not allowing each other to be weird now this word in the greek actually doesn't mean weird I just made that up (laughs) Give me some, some license there a little bit. Um, but it does mean fault. Like, you, like the people in your family, you have faults idiosyncrasies, things that you do, the ways that you parent, things, handle money, the, the, how you solve problems, like, you know, how you do things differently and, 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 it, and it's, it's different from the people in your family and, and what Paul is saying is you have to make room for the weirdness, make room for the idiosyncrasies, allow people to be weird. You know when your mother-in-law comes in and tries to look over your shoulder and try to cook the chicken over your shoulder? Just let it go. It's like, hey, oh, mom, what do you think? What should we do with the chicken? You think we should leave it in longer? Great, awesome. When your brother-in-law comes over and tries to parent your children, yes, oh, here we are. You're gonna tell my kids what to do? It's nice you see them once a year, twice a year. Go ahead, parent my kids. Oh, you don't have any kids yourself? Go ahead, parent my kids, go ahead. Listen, people are weird, man. They're just weird. And if, you, if, you, if you're gonna insist on it going your way, there's not gonna be any Shalom. You see what I'm saying? You have to create some space and let people do the weird. Let them one-up you. Let them one-up you. They're going to do it anyway. I say, yeah, Uncle Joe always up, up, ups, ups the end. You know, he's always got one better. <laughs> let him do it. Don't get frustrated, right? You know, so-and-so always shows up with a hangover, and they drink, take one too many drinks. Like, that's what they're going to do. Now, I'm not talking about giving people license to abuse others. That's, not, that's a different story. That's crossing a line. I'm not saying make room for that, I am saying make room for the faults. How do we do that? Well, we have to develop the attitude of Christ. We have to to think unselfishly. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter two, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others is better than yourselves. What if you did that? What if you thought of others as better than yourself? Wouldn't you give them some space to be weird? Yes or no? Yeah, if they're better than you, it's like, hey dude, that's what you do, I'm gonna let you be you. I'm not gonna speak to that, I'm not gonna expect it different, it's just, so when he takes it a step further. Watch what Paul says here. Don't look out for your own interest the way you would like it to go, but take interest in others as well. How do we do that? Watch this. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, who took on the form of a servant. Instead of, instead of leveraging equality with God, he would go on to say he, he took on the form of a man and he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Here's what Jesus did for you and I. He put us above himself. He put his needs above above his own. And he served us by dying on the cross. Surely if Christ did that for us, you can do that for your family, yes? Many years ago, I recognized that my wife's side of the family, when we're getting together for a big meal, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, we cook the beautiful meals with casseroles and all kinds of side dishes and usually a beautiful piece of meat or whatever. And when it all comes out of the oven, you know, I remember when years ago, you know, I was ready to eat. You know, because in, in New York, as soon as it comes out, you know, you eat. Not, not my wife's side of the family. They just chill. They just kind of chill. Like it comes out, this dish comes out, that dish comes out. It sits around, you know. We say, hey, hey, dinner's out, you know. And it takes about 15 minutes for everybody to come from upstairs and downstairs and who's taking a walk and who's in the bathroom. It's like, hey, do you know the food's ready? Nope. No urgency. So by the time everybody gets around the table, you know, we're sitting down, it's all 15 of us or 17 of us, however many there are. You know, what happens to the food? It's gotten what? It's gotten cold. This used to drive me nuts. It's like, what's the matter with you people? You guys are weird. The food was, was hot, now it's not. So here's what I had to do, it's like, it's okay. I'm gonna make allowance. If I really want my food hot, I'm gonna make my plate, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna do what you some of you have to do. I'm gonna take it over to the microwave and heat it up. And that's okay because it doesn't have to go my way. So there's shalom, see how that works? That's just a small example, small example of what we have to do. We have to be flexible, yes or no? We gotta be a peacemaker and then we have to be flexible. Let me give you this third idea. We have to recognize that now is not the time. Listen, now is not the time. What do I mean by that? Your family is dysfunctional. You wanna know how I know that? Because my family's dysfunctional, okay? Because everybody's got some things that are not working right. And there's also some brokenness that needs to be healed. And it needs to be addressed and it needs to be talked about. Just not over the Christmas gathering. Now is not the time. Does that make sense? There is a time. It's just not at Christmas to deal with the dysfunction and the brokenness. Now, I understand why people do this at their family gathering. Because here's the thinking, ready? Well, you know, this has been building up and I'm going to talk to him about this and I'm upset about it. And, you know, where everybody's going to be there. Might as well bring it up at the Christmas dinner. You know, why, why he does this and why they do that and why she can't get it together and this. I'm going to talk to them about it. And after all, you know, Grandpa's going to be there and Aunt Sue's going to be there. I'm going to have like people to support me when I start bringing it up. So I might as well, you know, gang up. And it makes sense. But not if you want shalom, not if you want peace. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11 says this Fools vent their anger. They say whatever they want to say, whenever they want to say it. But the wise quietly do what? What do they do? They hold it back. Now is not the time. You say, well, if, if we're not going to talk about our problems over the Christmas dinner, then what the heck are we going to talk about? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gives us this instruction. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Let it be positive. Why? So that it, your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So if you don't have something positive and helpful to say to your family members, just, just don't say it. Just don't, don't talk about it. Talk about sports. Talk about something neutral. Some of you are like, well, I, I don't think I can do that. I've got too much dysfunction. We've got too, too much brokenness. Well, I have a little prayer for you, okay? Psalm 141. Watch this little prayer. Set a guard, O oh Lord, over my yapper. <laughs> just lock and key. Just throw the key out. <laughs> keep watch over the. Help me to keep my big fat mouth shut. That's what translation. That's what the Hebrew says right there. <laughs> you just need to pray. If you if you if you can't say anything positive, just, just pray that prayer, Lord. Set a guard over my mouth. Watch. Put put a door over over my lips. Can you say this with me together? Now is not the time. Can you say that with me? Now is not the time. One more time, all of our campuses. now is not the time to address your family dysfunction and brokenness. There is a time, you need to call a third party, you need to get a counselor involved, and you need to set a date for January. And you need to talk about the brokenness and the dysfunction in your family, just not over the Christmas dinner. Make sense, yes or no? I'm just talking about shalom. Like, you don't have to do this stuff. This is just stuff we do, we try to do. Because why? We want shalom over the Christmas holiday. Let me give you this fourth one. You gotta forgive the offenders ahead of time. You gotta forgive the offender ahead of time. In Colossians chapter three, Paul says, make allowance for each other's weirdness, their faults, right? And then he follows that statement up with this statement. And also, forgive those who have offended you. See, faults are different from offenses. Faults is just stuff that people just, just, you know, we already talked about this. It's the the odd things that they do. You just got to make space for it. You got to be okay with it. You got to accept it. Offenses, those are things that they've done wrong to you. So going into this Christmas season, you have to enter in forgiving People before the event, the family gathering, the Christmas season even happens. See, a lot of us have this tendency to think that the reason I don't have peace is because of the person who's hurt me. We really believe that. And it's natural to feel that way. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm hurt is because they did such and such. He said this, they did this, whatever. But that's actually not true. The person who offended you is not, is not the source of your pain or your lack of peace. You know who is? You are. You are. You are stealing peace from yourself by holding a grudge. You are stealing shalom from yourself by harboring bitterness in your heart towards the person who offended you. So they, they've moved on with their life. Can I just go, this is, this is powerful. The person who has offended you, they're living, they're gone. Even if it's a family member, they're doing their stuff. They're not thinking about what they did to you. And here you are, you're mulling over, I can't believe, I can't believe bitterness, resentment. You're stealing peace from yourself, which is why forgiveness is really a gift to you. It's not a gift to them, well, I've forgiven you like you're blessing them. No, they don't care. It's like, oh, sometimes they're even surprised. Well, I didn't know I did anything to you. Oh, thank you. Forgiveness isn't for the offender. Forgiveness is is for you. You are setting yourself free from the bondage of resentment and anger and bitterness. You're stealing peace from yourself when you fail to forgive. So Paul says, hey, hey, before the Christmas break, before the Christmas holiday, forgive ahead of time. Now, I realize that the reason some of us struggle with this so intensely is because we feel like, well, if I forgive that person, then it's like I'm saying it's okay and it didn't happen and it didn't hurt. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Forgiveness is not saying it didn't happen, it's okay, and it didn't hurt. It did happen, it wasn't okay, and it was very painful. Forgiveness is simply saying, you don't owe me anymore. It did happen, you shouldn't have done it, it was very painful, it hurt, but I'm not gonna hold it against you anymore. And then you find yourself set free from bitterness anger and resentment and then you can go into the holiday and there can be peace there can be some shalom now I realize even after saying that myself included it's like well that's I believe that but it's still really hard I still don't know if I could drop the charges I still don't know if I can let it go I still and that's why Paul adds this next statement so powerful so insightful God knew we would struggle with this Remember, if you're struggling, it's like, it's like right here. It's almost like, remember, hey, hey, if this isn't easy for you, this teaching on forgiveness, remember that the Lord forgave who? You. Remember how God has dealt with you. Remember the grace that you've received. Remember all of the sin that he's forgiven you of. That mountain, that, uh, that gigantic mountain of sin that he's canceled on your behalf. Remember that. And then... Go and forgive the person. Oh, wow. See, this is, this is how I've, I've been able to forgive people in my life. Just simply by taking some time to reflect and remember on the mountain of sin that God has forgiven me. All the cheating and the lying and the stealing and the pride and the lust. And you go down the list. Boom, 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 boom. The amount of sin that I have to forgive others doesn't even compare to the mountain of sin that God has forgiven me, yes? Like if you, if you put it on scales, it's like, this is, it's like my sin that, that God forgave me is like so much heavier than anything I would ever have to forgive anybody else. So he says, remember, take, take a walk down memory lane and review the grace that you've received and you will find it easier to forgive the people in your life. Those who've received grace and they're aware of it, are are, are able to show grace to others. Forgive offenders ahead of time. Now, what that also means, this is really insightful, okay? Forgiveness ahead of time means not just for past things that have been done, but also sins that are gonna happen at the Christmas gathering. (laughs) Like somebody's gonna say something that's hurtful. Somebody's gonna do something. You don't even know what it is. Hasn't even happened yet. Forgive them now. You imagine if you went into your Christmas gathering like already with like a just a pile of forgiveness and you're just like throwing it out at people as the, 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 oh, you idiot here's some forgiveness jerk here's some forgiveness i knew you were going to do that especially you you know you just ready with like a bowl of forgiveness you know a reservoir unstoppable shalom if you if you if you choose to forgive offenders ahead of time What am I saying today? Here's what I'm saying. Hear hear my heart. Just because the baby came into the world, just because he's the prince of peace, just because he said peace and goodwill to all men, it doesn't mean that there's gonna be shalom in, in, in your heart, in your family, in relation. You have to work at this deal. Here's how I wrote it in your notes. If you want peace, you have to make it. Like You have to make it. You have to be flexible. You have to own the responsibility. You have to keep your mouth shut. Now is not the time. You have to forgive. You have to be kind. You have to create it and work towards it. If it's possible, here's what Paul said, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Will you own that, yes or no? Will you own that? Man, what would your holiday gathering look like? Something tells me there would just be a little bit more shalom if you worked at being a peacemaker a child of god so here's my question to you as we close this up will you be a troublemaker or a peacemaker are you going to stir the pot are you going to gossip are you going to be easily offended are you going to be a blame shifter are you going to be a know it all are you going to be a volcano are you going to have a blow up are you going to throw something Are you gonna be a disturber of the peace or are you gonna bring peace, bring it, bring it, bring it to that family gathering so that you can have shalom, all the essential parts, the nieces, the nephews, the uncles, the cousins, the grandma, the grandpa, the husband, the wife, all the pieces working together well so that there is peace in that home. You've gotta work at that, yes? This is a fair challenge? It's possible with God's help. It's the work he wants to create and he's given us his spirit to do that. Today's baptism weekend. Baptism is a great picture of peacemaking. Somebody gets put under the water, the water symbolically washes them of their sin. They come back up a brand new person, reunited with God, forgiven, at peace. The Bible word is reconciled with God they've died to their old way of living, they've come up to a brand new way of life, peace with God, life with God. We're about to baptize some folks. In fact, I'm gonna baptize my nephew and my son today as as well as many others. So exciting. Before we do that, before we do that, I wanna share a story with you, good friends of mine, Kevin and Casey pollen They have been on some wild journey with God in their life. And it's been like over a decade. And they've been through fighting cancer, addiction, lost a home, just so many different things. We couldn't even capture the whole entire story. But through the story, here's what they did. They never, they never stopped seeking God. I'm sure they had moments, but they kept coming back and opening up their heart towards God. I want you to hear their story because it's a story of peace. Peace internally for them, but then also peace between each other and peace with God, and they got baptized this weekend. Their names are Kevin and Casey Pollen. Check out their story.
1: So I went to college to play baseball. Uh, I had a successful career. But during college, you know, I started having pains in my hips. They finally diagnosed me with avascular necrosis, which is where the blood flow stops to the hips and the hip bone dies. So with that, I had to stop my baseball career. During that time, my parents got divorced, and I really lost track of of my identity.
2: The pain was getting so bad that he did finally go to a doctor, and they really wanted to hold off on any kind of hip replacement because of how young he was. That's when the addiction to the pain pills started.
1: I didn't know I was an addict at the time. Once that first prescription hit, it just You know, it it became more and more and more. You add on the alcohol to that and the anguish inside where I didn't know my identity.
2: It really um, started to spiral out of control really fast. At that point, I felt like I was really protecting our children and keeping things covered up for them and making a lot of excuses why Daddy was sleeping all the time.
1: People on the outside didn't understand the pain I was going through. My own wife didn't know. It was a struggle to get out of bed. It was a struggle to go to the mailbox, let alone play with you know, an eight-year-old boy and a two-year-old daughter. It was, it was too much. I had to do something. It wasn't working anymore. So I did go ahead and get my first hip replacement when my daughter was two. Things went OK for a while after that surgery um, until the other hips started really bothering me. So it started to cycle over again, more pain medicine, more more lies, more stealing, more shame.
2: We were having a really big argument because pills were just missing and gone and it was just out of control.
1: She was saying, you're gonna lose your family and I refused to see that. I thought I had control of the situation.
2: And when he walked out the door, that was the moment that I decided that it was time to take action and I packed up all of our clothes and the kids and I moved in with my mom
1: very difficult to deal with i I didn't know what to do and again went to drugs and alcohol as a result i knew it was selfish i knew it was but i still did it i couldn't stop myself even though it was creating more of a wedge in our relationship
2: when things started really getting bad i knew that i could come to emmanuel for counsel i would come to the church and just sit and lay down in the back of my car and just cry and pray and ask God for direction on what to do because I just felt so lost.
1: I got another month refill from the doctor of pain medicine um, and that was gone in about a week and a half and that's when I had to make a decision of rehab or surgery. I I did call my wife at that point, Casey, and and we talked through it, and, and she talked to the doctor, I talked to the doctor, and the decision was made to do the surgery before rehab.
2: I was reassuring him that this is it. You can start living your life again. You can be done with the pills. The surgery went great, his second hip replacement, it went great, and all was going really, really well. Then the next day, out of nowhere, Kevin, started not feeling well, and he started running a fever. The fever just continued to climb. That's when I left the room and just started walking around the hospital and just was talking out loud, like, why is this happening, God? What are we doing wrong? Literally, as soon as I asked that question, the word trust flashed in my head. And it just came to me that I was putting all trust into myself and none of it into God.
1: The next morning, the the fever just disappeared. Um, There's no explanation. They don't know why it happened. They don't know why it went away. But, uh, you know, I got to go home that night. So, uh, you know, to us, it's a miracle.
2: You know, Kevin and I drove home and I got him settled in his bed and I went to run some errands before our kids were brought home to see him. I just turned off the radio and decided that I needed to just thank God and have this big conversation with him. And while I was talking to him, it just felt so good and free. And literally, I did feel the Holy Spirit come over my entire body so much so that I had to pull over. And all I did was say, thank you so much. Thank you so much, God, for letting me know it's all gonna be okay and showing me that you are so real. And it was like, you need to go home and your kids need to come home and you need to stay there with him and it's going to be okay. And at that time I knew that it was time to move back in. There was a lot of yelling that was going on in our house before this. And I made the decision that with God's help I was no longer gonna be yelling and I was just gonna put all my trust and faith in God.
1: The doctors and and Casey and I, we really worked on on weaning me off the, the pain medicine. And we were able to do that successfully. Fantastic, right? Well, maybe not so much because Drinking just, just started escalating, and other drugs became present. There was a day where I was driving, and I was intoxicated. Something came over me that said, you're going to die or you're going to kill somebody if you don't stop right now. And I pulled over at that moment. And that's when I made the phone call to my best friend. He guided me to call Casey and, and you know reveal the truth to her, and that's what we did. With the guidance of my friends and her, and you know, not knowing at the time, but it was it was it was God and, and the Holy Spirit, led me to Fairbanks drug and alcohol rehabilitation. And that's where I feel like I really turned the corner in my life. I feel like I have tools now how to how to approach conflict, how to approach negative feelings inside without going to a substance. I don't try to make it go away myself because I'm not in charge anymore. I was never in charge, but I I know now that I'm not in charge. God is in charge.
2: When we started putting God first in our family is when our marriage became beyond amazing.
1: The relationship between my children and I has grown stronger than ever. With Casey, you know, the honesty, the vulnerability has really strengthened our relationship. Um, we're closer now than we've ever been. My relationship with God is is so much stronger. In any situation, God is where I go first. I wanted this to be real and not, not a show. This is my commitment to my family and, and God, and that He's all powerful and He's leading the way.
2: We got here together at this moment as a family. We waited for one another to get baptized and we all wanted to do it together.
3: Today's a pretty good day, isn't it? That's not bad. You know, the video and the testimony is powerful enough, but we wanna share something with you. It's pretty amazing. As of today, Kevin has been sober for four years. How cool is that? And for some of you today, man, you need that. You need, that. you need to hear that. You need to hear that there's hope. You need to hear that that's the kind of God that we love and that's the kind of God that we serve and that's how he can move in people's lives. Maybe you need to hear that. Maybe you needed to hear what Pastor Danny was talking about when he talked about peace, that the God that we love and the God that we serve is a God of peace and we are called to be his ambassadors. We are called to be the peacemakers at the holiday time or any anytime, anytime we're interacting with anybody, we are called to bring peace just as God did. And maybe for you, seeing this baptism service today was something that you needed to push you a little bit to take that next step in your faith. I don't know, maybe that's, that's what you need. But for some of you, it's hard for you to experience this peace. It's, it's difficult because there might be distance between you and God. And so you need to hear this today. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19, it says, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And you need to hear that because you think that you're too far gone. You think that the sins you've committed in your past will not allow you to have fellowship or relationship with him, but you are wrong. You might need to hear verse 21 where it says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. If you wanna experience that peace with God, then you have to go through Jesus and you need to hear that today. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ lived a sinless, perfect life. He was absolutely perfect. But he chose to live his life as a servant. He chose to be a human being, to live right here with us, to forsake a home. He chose to live among us and to serve us. And he died for us to take the penalty of all sin. For the gluttony, the greed, the sloth, the wrath, the envy, the pride, the lust, the addiction, the alcoholism, any sin you can think of, he took all of it when he died and he rose again three days later, conquering the penalty of sin and death so that you could have a relationship with God the Father for all eternity. And some of you need to hear that today. And so some of you need to step into that relationship with him. You need to go to Jesus Christ right now. You need to ask him forgiveness of your sins and you need to align your life with him. I'm gonna tell you how to do that. You're gonna take my words, you're gonna make them your own. You're gonna pray the simple prayer. You go right to Jesus, nobody else. This is just about a moment between you and him. It's not about joining a manual. It's not about joining a church. It's not about joining a religion. It's about you having a relationship with Jesus Christ right now. So let's bow our heads and take these words and you make them your own. Jesus, I am so thankful for what you did for me on the cross. Jesus, you died for me. You paid the penalty For my sin, you gave your life for me. And then you rose again, conquering the penalty of sin and death. And Jesus, I come to you begging for forgiveness. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, and show me what it is to live a life with you. Show me what it is to live and experience a life of peace. Jesus, I'm yours forever. It is in your name I humbly pray, amen. Now, if you prayed this prayer just now, they are celebrating in heaven. We want to celebrate with you right now. We are so happy for you. We would like. We would like to continue the celebration. We wanna put a free gift in your hand. We wanna put a New Believers New Testament Bible in your hands. You can go visit our friends in the back at the New Believers table. If you're online, you just prayed this prayer. We are so excited for you. Let us know, drop us a line in the comments. We will send this New Believers New Testament for you. There is no better way for you to understand the will of God and how you can follow him in each and every single way than to dive into this book. Can we give God a hand
0: one more time for all the amazing things he is doing here?